My name is Rick Thomas, and you are listening to the podcast, Your Daily Drive. This is the podcast where I put article content in audio format so that you can listen on the run. My new friend, Will Schaefer, is driving somewhere between Augusta and Aiken, South Carolina. He listens to our podcast, and he told me that's the perfect length. A 30-minute podcast is great for him because he can... Listen to it. I found him on Twitter and just met him a few days ago. By the way, he owns two car dealerships, and if you're interested in a car, you need to check out Will Schaefer. He's not paying me for this advertisement, but if you're within a 100-mile radius or wherever and you're looking for a good car, check out Will Schaefer. Master is the name of his uh, two dealerships, and I'm sure that he can help you out. But, Will, thank you for your encouraging words to me. Thank you for sharing our content on Twitter. Thank you for being a friend. I want to talk in this podcast about helping someone who has hurt you. You've been hurt by somebody. You've probably been hurt by a lot of people. By the way, you probably have hurt people, too. I've been on both ends of that equation. Sadly, I've been hurt by many people, and I've hurt many people by the things that I've said and done. And it's just a part of of what it's like to be in a fallen world. And so I want to talk about it in this podcast, learning how to help the person who hurt you. Now, there are many ways to cover this topic, so I'm not going to cover it exhaustively because that's not reasonable in a 30-minute podcast. So I can't do that. But I want to take one slice at it, and I really want to get at what Paul was saying in Galatians 6.1. If any person who is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, restore that person. And I want to talk about this idea of restoration. And one of the crucial aspects of restoring someone is to focus on the right problem. Our tendency is to get caught up in what we see the behaviors, the actions that are perpetrated against us or the ones that we perpetrate against others, but we get caught up in the behaviors, the manifestations, these external things, and and sometimes that can be the depth of our help is stop doing that thing. But unfortunately, that's not how it works for most people because the source of that behavior that you have been affected by is deeper than that. And so we must learn how to distinguish between the symptom of the problem, what you are experiencing in real time, in real space, and the causal issues. And there, there's a difference between those two things. Now, granted, we should do both, as Jesus told us in Matthew 5, hand offends you, cut it off, eye offends you, pluck it out. There are some behavioral things that we should do in order to stop uh, hurting other people. However, we have to go deeper because these things come from our hearts. Most people become irritated with the symptoms that they see, and they miss the real cause. And if you miss the source, the root cause, it will keep you from grace-motivated, Bible-centered solutions. And so you're in a relationship, husband and wife, parent and child, and there's some dysfunction going on. Someone is repeatedly hurting another person, being unkind, being thoughtless, being passive, being angry, whatever it may be, and 
it is your calling, in part, to come alongside that person. The idea of the person who's being hurt to come alongside the person who is doing the hurting. That is a gospel picture because that is exactly what Christ did for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The victim, so to speak, Jesus, came alongside us to restore us so we can be unified together. Now, I want to make a distinction here right at the top of this podcast because this is what will happen. I've been doing this for a long time now, and we're bumping toward a thousand podcasts. We have a lot of material in cyberspace. And what happens is a lot of people will read something or hear something like this podcast, and and they will map their experience over what they are hearing, and they begin to take the point of the podcast or take the point of the article in places that is never intended. And one of the places and one of the comments, more than likely, that I will get from this podcast is that what about those who have been uh, victims of some kind of sexual abuse or other kind of violence? So let me be clear here. This podcast is not intended, not intended at all for those who have gone through abuse or other kinds of violence. Nobody should ask the victim of a crime like that to help rehabilitate the offender. This podcast is for, if I could put this in quotation marks, I would say it this way. This podcast is for normal, dysfunctional relationships. And that's where the majority of us live. I'm not going to minimize or marginalize those who have been victimized by, say, sexual crime. I'm not going to marginalize that at all. I've written a lot on abuse. But I'm talking about, in this podcast, your general run-of-the-mill. And in those uh, general run-of-the-mill dysfunctional situations, and in those relationships, there is a responsibility on the person who is being offended to come alongside and and help the offender if it is possible. And so let me give you a a fictional case story. How my friends here, you have met them many times if you listen just a little bit to my podcast, Biff and Mabel. They are my fictional characters who have been so helpful. There there's a growing there's a grassroots affection for Biff and Mabel. Uh, we have spent the last couple of months traveling in the uh, upper Midwest, and I've had several people talk to me about their affection for Biff and Mabel, and so maybe we need to develop that a little bit more. But this time, Biff has a drinking problem, and Mabel is mad at Biff because he has a drinking problem. Biff and Mabel come to counseling because of his drinking problem, I told Biff and Mabel his drinking problem was not their main problem. And if Biff does not address the main issue, his drinking problem will never go away. It is important that we understand this fundamental idea. Now, you can upload any other kind of behavioral problem to what I'm talking about here. I'm using a drinking problem to lay out this idea. 
And to complicate matters in their marriage, Mabel being mad at Biff for his drinking problem, well, that's not helpful. Now, she did not know it, but her frustration with Biff has compounded the drinking problem. Now, here's something else I don't want you to hear with what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that Mabel is the cause. She's not the cause. And if you hear that, then you're missing the point of the podcast because we want to deal with root cause, and the root cause ain't Mabel. Mabel would be what we call in in counseling parlance, we call her a complicating problem. A complicating problem is when some person from left field, so to speak, jumps in on the problem and makes the pre-existing problem worse. Biff is the problem. He is the pre-existing problem. He has a root cause that is motivating him to drink, and Mabel, of course, she is affected by that, and that's why she's tempted to anger, and I understand that, but being angry at someone who is repeatedly sinning does not help them to work through. In fact, it is is counterproductive. If you want to restore them, or if you want them to be restored, then getting angry at them is should not be part of the process. And it seems like that's the implication of what Paul was saying in Galatians 6, 1. Restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so both Biff and Maple, their focuses were on the wrong thing, which meant their reason for counseling was wrong too. And that's how it works most of the time in counseling. They come into counseling, why are you here? I have a drinking problem, and that's where they want to focus. They are fixated on the symptom, the drinking, rather than Biff's heart. It's like when your child gets a cold and you're upset because his nose is running. Not that you would ever do that. I'm sure that you would not. But let's say you got upset because your child's nose was running. Now, no parent, no loving parent, discerning parent, would spend excessive time and energy on a runny nose. You'll do what you have to do. But the real issue is not what is on the outside, but the internal sickness that is causing the runny nose. Mabel wanted Biff to quit drinking. That was the only thing that troubled her. I think if Biff stopped drinking, there would be peace. Probably not. If Biff stopped drinking... He would find another escape for the underlying sin that was causing the drinking. If you permit the cause to continue, it will seek another outlet to satisfy itself. Let me ask, this idea between symptom versus cause, how adept are you at distinguishing the cause of a problem versus the symptom of a problem? For Mabel, her understanding of such things will have a significant impact on her marriage. It will also determine her effectiveness in helping her wayward husband. Here is a typical list of things people come to counseling for help, the reasons that they come to counseling. All of these issues are symptoms. These are all reactions to the causal sins of the heart. But these are the common, these are 
this is my list of maybe the top six things that people come to counseling for. Pornography, adultery, anger, alcoholism, communication, teen rebellion. Oh, there's others, but these are common things I deal with in counseling. I mean, there's probably hundreds of others, but the fundamental idea is that every problem a person brings to counseling is a secondary issue, not the primary or causal issue. It would be exceptional. In fact, it has never happened, as far as I can recall, that any person has come to counseling and they tell me exactly what is going on in their hearts. What they are going to tell me is what is going on in their external behavioral life. Imagine if your spouse committed one of these sins, God forbid, pornography, adultery, anger, alcoholism, communication, I'm talking about sinful communication, of course, and teen rebellion. But imagine if your spouse committed one of these. Now, if you can't imagine it, you, you will sense how hard it is to get the victim to look past the sin to help root out the real problem. For example, if you've ever been on the victim end of adultery, you know what a challenge it is to recover from the blow of learning about your spouse's infidelity. This type of problem makes it hard to direct the counseling to the causal issue because of the pain of adultery. You don't want to be insensitive as a counselor as though the behavioral problem doesn't exist because it does exist and it is extremely painful depending on what the problem is. Now, all you who do discipleship slash counseling out there, you need to understand this. You don't want to so quickly move to the root cause. You know, Rick said that we need to deal with the root cause, so we're just going to dismiss the external problem that you're experiencing right now. That would be insensitive, and so we want to use wisdom as we are transitioning the counseling from the root external prob uh, the external problem to dealing with the root but if the counseling does not move to the source of the problem the i mean ultimately the couple will not find help if mabel can't refocus on the real issue with her husband it will be nearly impossible to restore the marriage again go slowly here with the person that's why I like what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Be patient with all of them. We counselors can be tempted to speed up the process of the person because we know what the answer is and we just want to get there and we don't want to run over people that way. But addressing symptoms will never bring cure. It will only mitigate the symptoms, but they will come back. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you through a case study with Biff and Mabel. I want you to follow along as you see how the symptom versus the cause are worlds apart, but yet related to and dependent on each other to survive. They are not disconnected. They are contiguous in a sense. Now, the most obvious question is to ask Biff why he enjoyed drinking. What motivated him to drink to the point where he was wasting money and time while causing dysfunction in his family? That's a big deal. What was it about drinking that propelled him to sin against God and his family? The why question that I'm talking about here is always relevant 
because it will lead you to where you want to go. Whether you're talking about porn, adultery, anger, alcoholism, sinful communication, or teen rebellion, you always begin with the why question. Why questions are like steps that lead you to the basement of a person's heart. That's where you want to go. On the upper level, the behavioral side, what everybody sees and what everyone is experiencing is drinking beer, getting drunk, wreaking havoc in the family. On the lower level is the command center that controls his behaviors. Biff said he liked to drink with the boys because it was an escape for him. This piece of information is vital, and I'm sure you anticipated his answer. It's not a surprise, because Biff works long hours and drinking has become his habit as a way to unwind. Many of us have ways to unwind that can become Bad habits for us. Maybe yours is not drinking. Maybe it is something else. Another kind of escape that you started in an innocuous way, but now it has captured your heart and you are habituated and it's not good for you or for your family. One of the most common ways that a husband will do that, who's like in Biff's condition here, works long hours, and it's hard work as they come home and they vegetate on the couch. They go into passive mode while they're at home. That will, that can, destroy your marriage. It is an habituation that needs to change. And so Biff said that he, what he would do is he would go drink because it gave him an escape from long and hard hours at work. So I explored more. And Biff told me that he experienced a sense of community with his drinking buddies. They had camaraderie. Now, this tidbit opened the door to more questions. The biggest one was, why did he not seek to fellowship with his wife? Why didn't he seek to fellowship with his family, with his children? What about his church? Now, initially, when I began to explore this, Biff did not know, and I believed him, that he was oblivious to what I was thinking. This was news to him. It could be that he was so habituated in what he was doing that your conscience can dull to such a point that you become insensitive to spiritual things. And so one of the things about Biff is that he was oblivious, at least in part, The difference between community among pagan drinking buddies and community among believers who genuinely cared for him. Imagine how dull he had to be to where he wanted to be with his pagan drinking buddies over the community of faith. And when I explained the difference, the light did seem to go on as Biff began to explain now that he had rather hang with friends who would not challenge him on things that mattered. Their lack of biblical insight, his drinking buddies I'm talking about, and their unwillingness for confrontation made it easier for him to be transparent with them. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Biff preferred the profuse kisses of an enemy rather than the fateful wounds of a friend. His 
Christian community would be surprised if they knew what Biff thought about some of the things that he was sharing with his friends. They don't know. His Christian community doesn't know him, and neither does his wife. When he's with his drinking buddies, his mind was free to wander without challenge. He could go to the bar, relax, talk about nothing, go home to sleep off his drunkenness, wake up the next morning to hit the daily grind. It became apparent that Biff did not want anyone to challenge him. He did not want anyone to disrupt his routine. He did not want anyone probing into his heart. His beer buddies provided him a, quote, safe, end quote, place, which was a life of necessity for Biff. He needed that escape. It was his precious, as Gollum would say in The Lord of the Rings, I asked him why it was so imperative, and he began to explain how he lived in a high-pressure, intense, deadline-oriented workplace. There were high demands and exorbitant expectations that created a lot of pressure for Biff to perform. He was a successful man, but he worked longer and harder than he should have, which meant that work was a god for him, little G-O-D, His job was part of his worship structure. Unsurprisingly, his motivation for work was it was not primarily to provide for his family. His primary motivation for work was to feed his ego. He loved success and all the accoutrements of success. Work was another escape for a discontented individual. Through counseling, Biff began to see the light. You see, he is a believer, and he knew he was in a trap. But after 20 years of trying, he gave up, choosing to escape from life. The effort required for heart change was too daunting for Biff, so he checked out. It was easier for him to work hard during the day and drink hard at night. Those things were what he was good at doing. It was safe. It required very little of him, figuring out the morass of spiritual dysfunction was not something he was good at doing. But the good news was that he did want to change, and that's important. A person's desire, once you come to that place, and you have to come there at the end of your rope, to where your desire for change is greater than whatever perceived benefit you receive from whatever it is that you are doing. Now, this prospect of change is why it's imperative for Mabel to set aside her hurt to help her husband. Her frustration with his drinking only obstructed the path forward in their marriage. It's why we call it a complicating problem in counseling. Now, I'm sure you understand the dynamic here. Have you ever been hurt by someone to the point where you were not willing to help them Probably, most of you probably have. Mabel's struggle is one of the most amazing things about the gospel. We all have hurt the Savior. We rejected him, despised him, would not esteem him. But that did not deter God from loving us, the unlovable. I'm really paraphrasing Isaiah 53, 3 here. If you are hurting because of the sin of another... It will help you to reflect on Isaiah's verse. It's amazing grace that he would persevere through what we did to him to help us. 
Imitating the Lord before those who have hurt you is part of our calling as Christians. If you're in a situation like what I'm describing here with Biff and Mabel, imitating the Lord before that person who has hurt you is part of our calling as Christians. This concept is what I appeal to Mabel to do. Loving those who persecute you is the height of gospel love. Believe it or not, there is grace for this kind of responsibility toward your offenders. You only have to be willing to want what God wants more than what you want. Mercifully, Mabel was able to set aside her hurt, hurt, roll up her sleeves, and get down to business to help her messed up husband. Together, we began to unpack Biff's worship structure. Now, Mabel is no longer a complicating problem. That is success in counseling. In a discipleship construct like what I am describing, that is success when the offended person will lay her weapon down so now you can get to root cause. And as we discovered, Biff did not have a biblical worldview for work. His views on his job were idolatrous, as you already have discerned. And as with all false worship, there is something to gain from the idol. And Biff reaped a lot of benefit, and I would put benefit in quotation marks because ultimately it's not a benefit at all. But according to where Biff was and the way he saw things in his dulled state, he reaped a lot of benefit from his work. Let me give you a short list of things that Biff craved and received from his work. Fame, success, power, respect, honor, significance, applause, acceptance, authority, reverence, envy from others, acclaim, and glory. These were some of the insidious benefits that Biff craved and received from his work. His job was not a means for him to make God's name great. His job was a means for Biff to make Biff's name great. The vocation fed the beast in his heart. These 13 benefits that I just read to you were the things that kept him going. They were also the things that were killing him, which is why he needed to drink. You see, idols will not treat you nicely, and so Biff needed to compensate for what the idols were doing on the backside. They were eating away at him, the very things that he craved. It's like taking a drug, like uh, taking crack. It feels good, but it is destroying you, and so Biff needed a drink from work. It was not humanly impossible to feed his beastly heart without help from his friends, his beer buddies. Biff was trying to feel something, feel, F-I-L-L, something that he could not feel, which was his weak, wicked heart. You cannot satisfy an evil heart, and it was never meant to be satisfied. If we could satisfy our sinful hearts, we would not need a Savior, but the wicked heart is insatiable. The eye can never see enough. The ear can never hear enough. The heart that is not seeking the Savior will never find satisfaction outside of God. Now, Biff is no different than you and me. We all have holes in our hearts that motivate us towards something to fill it. The desire for satisfaction can easily steer us toward things that can never satisfy. Biff veered off course many years ago 
and began to get his itch scratched through his job. He did not realize the size of the trap or the harmful repercussions it would cause on his family. But do any of us? Satan does not place traps before us with big warning signs or a smack on the side of the face just before we step into them. That is not his strategy. We are lured away by our desires, and if our hopes are not lovingly interrupted by God or lovingly interrupted by others, we will follow them all the way to our deaths. Mabel began to see the trap that Biff created. She started to see how drinking was a much lesser problem than she ever imagined. She began to see how her husband was a lifelong slave to the things of this world. It began to make sense to her. It started to make sense to Biff, too. He needed restoration from a person who was gentle. He also needed a new community context for continued support. In time, Biff began a process of repenting, and Mabel began to change, too. God was working in both their hearts. Let me give you a short list of some of the things that Biff did to get moving in the right direction. Number one, he quit drinking. Yes, you need to do some things behaviorally. His eye was offending him, so he plucked it out. He quit drinking. He cut back on his work hours. Three, he found himself a community of believers where he could do real life. Number four, he began to pursue God daily through prayer and various devotion materials. Now he is starting to work on the heart issues now that these other matters are are put away from him. And then number five, he reestablished his relationship with his wife and family. The title of this podcast, the article on the website, Learning How to Help the Person Who Hurt You. I know your situation is specific, so if we can help you, you come to our website and ask your question. We are here to serve you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.